Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com um, Well, I haven't written a running order. Well, that's kind of the point, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. It's a riding order. A riding order? We have a, I have in my head a, a, a riding order of oh, some you? description. Yeah, where what we're going to head. Um, well, we'll come to that. Okay. But perhaps we should do a more formal introduction. Ease rather than... Yes. Yeah. Explain what we're doing. Welcome to um, Never Stray's Papillon. Never Stray's Papillon. Is that the name? Yeah. Going to go with it. Okay. Yeah. It's an check. extension of the butterfly thing. So Papillon is French for butterfly. Well, he's changed the, the cover art then. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell Vitor. Okay, good. Yeah, good. good. We're on it. We're on it. Excellent. Uh, good start. Yeah. All right. Well, um, yeah, let's have, let's have our new jingle that Perry's composed this, shall we? Let's yeah. hear that now. Well, that was a great start. Not knowing the name of the podcast, David. <laughs> oh, that's quite, I've been telling people we're doing Never Strays France. Oh, really? Have you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. <clears throat> Never Strays Papillon. I think it's Papillon. It's got to be Papillon. That's fine. I think we'll stick with the butterfly for yeah, now. I don't um, care. Uh, we're in London. We are. Yeah. Um, tomorrow I'm going down to Kent, and so are you, right? Yep. Well, when do you arrive? Tomorrow evening, yeah. Tomorrow evening. Okay. Yeah. So, And that's when we start broadcasting the Tour de France the following day. So it's full on... Um, here we go, sort of time, isn't it? Straight into it. Straight I into know. It. I just got my um, my test for release <coughs> through in the middle of the night. Yeah, you've last been night. in COVID prison, hasn't? I know. I have. How's it been? It's been um, <laughs> horrible. Yes, yeah, it's, it's been all right. But there was a wedding at, at so we stayed at Nicole's family's home. So and there was a wedding at the house. Her, her stepbrother got married. So it's been quite busy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, obviously we weren't in the wedding. Just uh, if anyone's paying attention to that. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's good. It's, it's lovely. We've got a lovely day here. And we have. This is a bit of an inspired idea, Nick. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so so after our Girona tour guide that mm. went down very well, I think with our many listeners. Yeah. I think I think we can say that. I think if it did go down. I think it's been one of our most listened. So this might be quite a long podcast as well because there's a lot to say. We're going to um, we're going to weave a little bit of a Tour de France preview around a bit of a journey around my home city of yeah. London. Yeah. yeah. And I've taken you, for starters, to a place that resonates with you, I would imagine, in more ways than one. We're mm. right outside the ICA uh, yeah. on the Mall, where mm-hmm. I remember you held, you did an event when you were trying to crowdfund or get some funding for your, yeah, to finish your film, trial. for time trial film. Yeah. Um, and you were telling us all about your, f- your plans for your final season of racing. Mm. And I remember I, I didn't really know you back then, and I put my hand up and asked you a question. I said, uh, don't you think it'd be fitting, David? Um, rather than go to the Vuelta at the end of the year, for you to sign off by racing the Tour of Britain instead. Oh, yeah. You and did. you looked at me like I was absolutely mad. <laughs> and now I know you. <laughs> I can just imagine how ridiculous uh, that yeah. question must have sounded. <laughs> now it sounds ridiculous. But I can, Why and you were you serious as well, weren't you? <laughs> really <Yeah>. serious. <laughs> That's what I think what bamboos me. Like, how can that even be a serious question? <laughs> of course I wouldn't go to the Tour of Britain to sign off my career. Go to the, the Vuelta. Go to the But yeah, no, no, you're right. ICA, the Institute for Contemporary Art. Yeah. Um, just a very cool place. Actually, it was... This was founded by, I remember now, Penrose, wasn't it? Max Penrose, because Lee Miller, who is a, an American photographer, her husband or something was a Flirting surrealist. Text? No, this, this no? is pretty full on. He's one of the founders of the ICA, I think. Right. This is like 1920s. It was um, like part of the... Anyway, that is a floating fact, but it just came to my head there. But yeah, it definitely has something to do with that surrealist movement, the British surrealist movement at the beginning. But then it's right literally on the mall where... Obviously, in 2006, Tour de France. 2007. That 2007, was, was it? 2007, yeah. It feels like 2007. Yeah. yeah, it was that. Yeah, the finish line was just there, really, wasn't it? Yeah, as it was far just as I remember. Here. It was about maybe 100 yards up on the right. And then... This was all zone technique. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. All that, all that part of the race that you wouldn't have given two hoots about, but now is your... All well, along there. I, I remember we parked our Renault Espace. Someone had to go to Paris to collect the Renault Espace uh, and drive it to London. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, that's and so we cool. had our French Renault Espace hire car just parked on Pall Mall there. Yeah. And I remember at the end of the day, we had to, once we'd done all the interviews and bits and pieces, we had to get all the camera kit into the car and get to Canterbury, where hmm. the stage was going to finish the next day, as you well know. And uh, as we got to the car, we found that a parking attendant had ticketed it. Bastards. It was, they were just actually in the process of ticketing it. And we were going, no, 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 it's a Tour de France. You don't know, you don't, you don't do know how that. it works. You, you don't, don't ticket. Do that. We're, we're, we got the sticker. We're untouchable. We're untouchable. Yeah. It was a big culture clash. It was great. Yeah. Liam absolutely blew his oh, top. I bet Can you did. imagine? I bet he did. <laughs> but yeah, so this has become, well, it's the, the Champs Elysees of British <laughs> racing, the mall. And it's because after, after that 2007 Tour de France, then obviously the, the Olympics 2012, and then from then on, there was a legacy of Ride London. So it's become a regular uh, occurrence. What do you remember of the prologue in 2007? Uh, I remember quite a lot of it. I was, there was quite a lot of hype around you, wasn't there? Yeah, and I, I think I got 11th, so I was really disappointed. That's why I went to the rampage the next day, because I was going better than that, and I just screwed it up. I just wasn't, wasn't a good day. And I remember Bradley got third. Fabian just crushed it, so no one was going to win it. Beat him, because he was just so fast. Yeah. Uh, but no, it was a good Who day. Cancellari. Yeah. Cancellari yeah, yeah. won it, yeah. And... Um, I put. I remember Paul Smith came in the following car because he was the classic Paul Smith. One was at the start, and I just waved him across. I was like, "Get in the back!" So Paul Smith, because he's a Londoner yeah. as well. Yeah. And um, but yeah, no, I remember it was kind of. I was too locked in that day, and I, I don't really remember much of it because I was so deep in the race, and I was so disappointed afterwards that I kind of it was a bit of a flat day for me. But then the next day was the opposite was literally because I remember just from that moment of crossing the line and being disappointed I just put everything into the next day and that's when I went on the rampage and yeah. I was off the front the whole day and got the climbers jersey but um, but yeah so it, but it was that first time where we started to see that bike racing was hugely popular here because we did the Trafalgar Square um, presentation it was the day before I think yeah and it was just huge and it was started to kind of go oh wow this is it was massive, this is, wasn't it? This is, wasn't what we expected. And then it was on the next day as well, on the way to the start, when people were on lampposts, and it was just kind of... It, we'd never seen anything like it in bike racing. And yeah. I think that's when even the ASO and everybody were like, okay, this is not what we expected. And in many ways, that was the beginning of the cycling boom. We kind of talk about 2020, 2012 being when it all kind of really got big, and then with Bradley's win in the Olympics. But actually, it was at 2007... Tour de France when it came to London, where there was that kind of eye-opening to the popularity of cycling in this country. It was Cav's, Cavendish's debut as well, wasn't it? On the mm, race? It didn't last right. long, did he? He crashed about 17 times and then went yeah, home that's quite early right. on. But, uh, he was on my wheel when he crashed in the first day into Canterbury. In Canterbury? Yeah. Was yeah. it your fault? A uh, little bit, maybe. <laughs> no, because because I was, cause I'd been caught because I'd been off the front all day and yeah. got all the points and yeah. I knew that in order for me to win the points jersey the climbers jersey I'm gonna ha- I was gonna have to win the final climb so I made the calculated decision of dropping back from the breakaway going back into the peloton yeah and then expecting the breakaway to be caught but then there was just Auger I think off the front or one or one rider was off the front left and he was getting the points so I knew I had to then win the the points on that final climb like 15 k's in the finish or 10 k's in the finish and I was at, at badly placed so I started going up the side and Cav was on my wheel and I was going pretty kind of finding gaps that weren't there and I heard a crash behind me Oh, so it wasn't necessarily my fault because I was getting through the gaps but I probably wasn't a good idea to be on my wheel Yeah, because I was being a little bit did dangerous. you know him back then? yeah yeah I'd ridden with him as an amateur kind of a little bit when I trained in Tuscany in 2005 2006 okay. that's when I first met him when I was just like and was he like was he just Mark Cavendish? Yeah, it was proper. So the first time I was with, so it was Shandri Corata where they all stayed and I, it must have been 2005 I think I met him for the first time. He'd just come back from Germany or something where he just crushed everybody. But he was this little f- f- round kid, yeah. you know? And yeah. and he was just telling me, we were on this bike ride, and he was telling me how he was the fastest sprinter in the world and he was in the best in the world. And he was in his GB kit and he was just cav. And I was like, and he was sweating, he was bright red. <laughs> and I was just like, who is this kid? I was just, it was just comical. And, but, but he was absolutely convinced of it. And sure enough. You, he was right. It's pretty insane that it's 2021 and we're talking about, we're going to talk about him for the next three weeks in the Tour de France. I know, it's, it's great. Absolutely it? insane. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. It's I think insane. it's, because I've just seen you were, well, we're going to it in a bit, is the first week is a little bit underwhelming. It's a bit like a classic Tour de France, regardless yeah. of the stages. And it goes to show the power of, of Cav. It's just put a whole different dimension. That first week's now very exciting. Yeah. Is he, isn't he? And um, it's going to be a battle royale, hopefully. Yeah. I'm, my, my memory from the, last thing about the prologue is um, Zabriskie 
I can't remember who he was riding for at the time. Uh, CSC. CSC. Yeah. Set the best time at mm. one point and um, came over the line and we were live on, on the big channel actually on ITV1 because of London connection and uh, the doc, Steve Doc, the late Steve Doherty mm. was um, in my ear saying, get, get Zabriskie, get him now. So I was pushing my way to try and, and he literally just finished his, his, his time trial, his prologue taking his helmet off, having a drink, and I was busting it. Get in there, ask him, talk to him, go, live, Gary Hantoned, like that. So it's like, straight away, I'm interviewing Zabriskie, and tell him he's set the best time. Tell him what the time is. So I said, uh, Dave, you've set the best time, it's so-and-so, so-and-so, well done, so you're in the hot seat now. And then no, he's just starting to answer me when someone else crosses the line and beats his time. Oh, no. <laughs> and Doc goes in my ear, tell him he's no longer the fastest <laughs> Go on, tell him, tell him, like that. So I said, I had to interrupt, say, Dave, you're no longer on the hot seat, like that. And he goes, well, just go off and pester someone else, will you? Oh, man. Can you imagine? That's shameful. It was. Oh, well. Right, we need to go and find, straight away, we're going to go on a bike ride. Yep. We're going to leave behind um, central London and head for south London, actually. But we need to go and find some air for your tyre. Yeah, let's pump up my Brompton. Yeah. Let's do that. All right, David, we're on the, um, what's it called? The, uh, the segregated pathway on the embankment, aren't we? Yeah, it is very segregated. Pretty cool, isn't it? It's super cool. This is relatively new, isn't it? Well, ten, years. 10 years, maybe 10 years old. But it is like on a sunny summer's day. You see how busy it is? It's bonkers. And we're kind of past, well, it's nine o'clock on the dot now. So, But it's, uh, it's amazing to think this is just cars once because it is like having a, well, it's a bike road and a car road next to each other. And uh, yeah, it's not not without its controversies. There's a lot of opposition to it as well, David, from certain quarters. Can you believe that? Uh, yeah, I can believe that. Yeah, well. Um, you've still got a flat tire, so we went to the Pinner Pinarello shop, didn't we? Where they weren't open. They open till ten. What sort of bike shop opens at ten? We're riding a Brompton with a very flat tire at the moment. So. Anyway, we're about to cross the river. We're going over Blackfriars Bridge. We've just passed. ITV Tower, where I used to work. I used to have an office there. Yeah, on the other side. No, just a little bit further back there. ITV HQ. And, um, yeah, we're going to go over Blackfriars Bridge. And then we're into South London. Au premier temps de la valse Tout seul, tu souris déjà Au premier Oh, I've been thinking while we've been riding. Cycling's the best for thinking, isn't it, Ned? I was just having a little think. We're quite close to London Bridge now, across the river. And I was just thinking, never stress Papillon doesn't work, does it? Well, it does work. I mean, the idea's great, but we know how to say Papillon. Most people be never stress Papillon. Papillon. And we're like, what's a Papillon? Yeah. And even then, even if you do, can say it and know what it means. Why? why? Yeah. So... Should we go with Never Stress France? Let's go with Never Stress France. Right. It's got a nice ring to it. And you know what's really good about it? It actually says France in the tin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goes to the jingle as well. Yeah, that's true. All right, okay. And the art. And the artwork. We don't have to change the artwork anymore. Brilliant. Win-win. C'est beaucoup plus troublant, c'est beaucoup plus troublant, mais beaucoup plus charmant. Une valse à 3 ans, une valse à 20 ans, une valse à 100 ans, une valse à 100 ans. This is game changer now. This is good fun. We're in Evans Cycles. Thank you, Evans, for supporting uh, a rogue cyclist in need of help. Who's going to win the tour? Yeah. Uh, <coughs> David, who's going to win the tour? Tadej Pogacar. Tadej Pogacar is going to yeah. win the tour. No, you're wrong. No? Uh, Roglic. Oh, he's been a bit quiet. Yeah, Roglic will win the tour. What, who do you think is going to win the tour? Um, I'll get Carapaz. Carapaz? Yeah. Interesting. I can't help I can't help but feel that we've got off to a stuttering start not knowing not knowing the title of the show yeah but we do know we do know that's Never good France, just to repeat it so. and then sorting yeah. your um, 
sorting your tyre out, but I think we're up and running. Should we do a bit of cycling content? Let's do a bit of cycling content. Let's do it. Because um, the guy in Evans was quite keen to talk cycling, and it's probably worth remembering that we're all very excited that the Tour de France is about to start. Because it yeah, is exciting. It is. And it just, it, it does, um, it's like Wimbledon, or the, the Euros. It's Wimbledon. 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 Um, it's yeah, better it's, than Wimbledon. It's better than Wimbledon. Um, but yeah, it, it is. It's just a, everyone gets excited. It's from for the vast majority of the population, the British population. It's the it's the one bike race in the year, and it's, uh, it's something that it's for this gentleman here. Thank you very much. Your du- it, double coffee for David. It's, it's what the cappuccino in front yeah. of him and an americano. Breakfast. Um, and so yeah, and it's a, that's the weird thing, isn't it? Because we now go into shops. Do you go to places people ask you? you know, people do recognise us over here, and they do ask us immediately. Well, what's yeah. going to happen at Tour de France? So. Yeah, although what's quite weird is they didn't recognise it, partly because we were wearing face masks, yeah, but they recognised our voices, which oh, is kind it? of really odd, That's isn't what it? it's come to. That's what it's come to. We, just, we, just, we don't really exist. We're just floating people. <laughs> we're just a voice, disembodied voice. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, well, Sometimes it feels worse. like that. Yeah. Do you know what strikes me about the tour this year? Here's an observation. That there are very few teams who have any GC ambitions. That's a very valid point so you take big teams that would normally say yeah we're in we're in the race we Astana, got, we got one guy bahrain yeah trek no, bike right. exchange that's so none true. of them are racing gc that's an interesting observation i wonder if that's something to do with the way everyone's the terrified sports. of the slovenians yeah the slovenians number one in your you, you do have to kind of the way the sport's going now those gc tour de france potential winners are such big bucks. It's so, so few teams that can afford them. So unless you have a, an outlier, like Tadej Pogacar, who just kind of, kind of comes from, well, he didn't come from nowhere, second year pro, but he was winning everything. He was already worth a lot of money, but he hadn't entered into the 4 million, kind of 5 million category. Yeah. And there's only maybe two or three teams that can afford that. So it's almost as if the sports, the economics of the sport are now kind of creating those tactics in a way. Because, and then if you think about it, those riders that, that, are capable of winning the Tour de France are worth that much but they also demand a team that's hugely yeah. powerful which yeah. it comes as well with you know multiple million plus riders and so it's right now the sport is becoming a bit kind of tilted to, to the big budget which is every sport's like that I'm not saying it's a bad thing yeah. it's just a natural yeah. natural order but yeah it does mean I think it's, this is one of the years where it, it is extremely exemplified I think I might have been a bit unfair on Trek because technically, I think they are a GC team. They've got Mollema. Yeah, not, I mean, not, no. He's not going to win the tour, is he? No, Ned. The no. best one in the world. I mean, he came close to the year G1. Yeah. But he didn't. And yeah. That was one of his, I think that was his chance. So it's basically UAE, Jumbo Visma, and Ineos, and obviously Movistar. Movistar with uh, Marc Soler. Marc Soler. He's not going to win the Tour de France. We know that much. Henrique Mass. Valverde. Valverde. That's, their trident. To, That's properly, their trident this they're year. They're properly tridenting it. Yeah. But that seems like but a good no, trident they've got for Miguel Angel Lopez. Miguel Angel Lopez. So he's there, actually. I forgot about him. So he could win. Yeah. He's no, good. he's not going to win the Tour, is he? Though? He finished top five last year, didn't he? Fifth? Uh, did he? Yeah. yeah. should know that. No, remember on that super steep climb towards the end where he won the stage? Yeah. He was incredibly strong that day, and that's when he was moving but back. He'll, the he'll lose so much time on uh, it's a time 58 kilometers well, well. of flat time yeah. trialing. 58. It's such a huge factor. It hangs over the race, uh, I But think. that's also that's also the reason we've only got three teams, because... That, that are going for it because again going back to that that GC racer the purest GC racer the big money the big buck marquee GC racer they can time trial and climb they're kind of the, the opportunists the Yates etc the the other ones they kind of gamble on the, the lesser time trial stage races where they can get in there yeah. where, where some things anomalous things happen but in a race like this this year it is a classic there's only a few people that can do it couldn't hear a word you just said to be fair I, I thought I'd take friends, you to a quiet okay. Yeah, you said we're going to a super quiet cafe. It's so loud, I can't actually, I'm sitting sitting socially distanced, metre and a half away from you, I can't hear a thing. And just also so people are aware, we met on the mall, but it was as if we graced, grazed north of the river. I know, I don't like to hang around north of the river. You are not north of the river, are you? No. The quicker we could get back across, the better. But it's cool, you know, we've gone, you cross over Blackfriars Bridge and you're into Southwark and and, um, London Bridge and they are so changed and they're you know not necessarily in a positive way because a lot of the original communities getting priced out of well they've long since been priced out of living here to a large extent and the face of this part this part of london is more dynamic than anywhere else in london at the moment um but there's an amazing kind of architectural heritage of industrial architecture 
um, and uh, the infrastructure, because they're in, they're famously, there's no underground in South London, That's, especially not South East yeah. London. So all the railway lines are overground. So mm. there's a lot, this whole part of London is crisscrossed by the Victorian arches. You know, we've just been down Bermondsey Street, haven't we, through yeah. and alongside all the can, big can arterial... You, can you explain a bit, actually, just before we go back to the race? Yeah. There is the London thing, which is your north or south of the river. What, what is, for our... Cause I know we've got a lot of London listeners, like UK listeners, but I think people outside of London, and especially people outside of the UK, just yeah. have no idea about what that is. Well, the, I mean, London, London kind of geographically is off, off kilter, isn't it? Because most of... If you like the economic, you know, the city of London, the West End, and then all the richer, wealthier suburbs that cluster around it, including, you know, Kensington and Chelsea and places like that. They're all north of the river. South of the river historically has been very much deprived. Um, and also the infrastructure isn't really here. So people who live north of the river would never think about coming south of the river. Whereas people who live south of the river per se have to cross the river and go north if they want to go to the theatre, apart from the, you know, the, 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 the great theatres, we've got like the old Vic and, the, and, and the, the National Theatre, but if you want to go to the West End, you've got to cross the river. So there's this slight resentment that um, we get overlooked, whereas uh, south of the river, whereas North Londoners, yeah, they're the, uh, they're the people. But then on the other hand, especially in South East London, which is much more deprived than South West London or South London, um, we're quite proud of the fact that no one knows anything about us. Mm. And that if you, if you know, you know. And if you get it, you get it. And yeah. if you live around here, um, you're very protective of it because um, it's got its own identity, big time, big time. Where are we now, by the way? We're in, um, we're in Rotherhithe. We've just kind of left Bermondsey behind us and we're heading towards Rotherhithe. And then next on our stop, we'll just rattle through Surrey Quays and then we'll be in Deptford. And Deptford has an ancient and fascinating history. And I want to impart some of that on, 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 our, way, on our way. And then we'll talk a little bit more about the Tour de France. Do you know that whole myth that um, exists about Londoners yes. not being friendly? Yes, what, what's your experience so far? No, my, my experience so far with Londoners is they're all very friendly. Is, is that maybe just south of the river? <laughs> I think it's pretty universal. I mean, they're turning right here. Turning right. I mean, it is just, you know, there are friendly people and unfriendly people in the world, and um, London has got lots of people in it. Yeah, well, so, the know. thing is, I don't think London... I mean, I spent a lot of time in London in my life and I've always found Londoners to be very friendly it's not like Paris where Parisians are not friendly that's kind of true actually that's kind of it's not just a that is a, a, a generalisation that is generally true whereas in London although I think what it is with the Londoner thing is Londoners are really nice to people but they seem to be not very kind to London yeah. there's often a lot of Londoners part of the thing of being a Londoner is you have to complain about London a lot yeah isn't that kind of part of the thing? Yeah, sometimes. I know what you mean. There's a certain type of Londoner who does that. Yeah. There's other kinds of Londoners, and I think I'm one of them, who just bore on about London yeah, being wonderful well, I, all the time. Exactly. i got a lot of those as well. A lot of my friends <laughs> who live here are just like, it's the best place in the world, and can't imagine living anywhere else. In fact, my mum's like that. My mum lives in London. She's a Londoner. She's a proper Londoner, and yeah. she just like can't imagine living outside of London. Because I think if you do fall in love with London, there... There's just so many different things you can do. Yeah. There's, there's so much at your fingertips, and, and I think that's what it is, isn't it? There's, there's very few cities in the world that have that diversity. Yeah. Uh, not just, and I mean diversity in, in stuff, not just the people and the melting point. It's because it's a, it's a country in its own right, isn't it? It's yeah, it is. bigger than a city. It's a metropolis. Listen, we are, we're riding on a thing called Quiet Way 1, which you can see these rubbish markings on the, on the road, kind of... You know, no, you'd have to know it existed to find it. But as you can see, a lot of cyclists use it all throughout the day. Yeah. We're going through a kind of 1980s housing estate yeah. that runs parallel to the old Kent Road. And we've actually just left London Bridge, sorry, Tower Bridge behind us, where stage one in 2007 was waved off. Ha, and you know who's a bit... So if you go back to the photographs of that start... On, ta on Tower Bridge. On Tower Bridge... I'm there next to a chubby Geraint Thomas racing Barlow World. I think Chris Froome was just behind chubby Chris Froome. Now, to look back now and see that picture, and then if you told me on that start line that those two guys were one day going to win the Tour de France and Chris Froome was going to be a multiple Tour de France winner, oh, I'd have thought 
you're an absolutely insane person. It's just crazy how, how things have changed and what's happened to their, their lives and careers since that moment on Tower Bridge. So slight floating fact correction. Froome didn't make his debut until the oh, following Froome. year, but, but yeah, he, he, Froome, Froome made his debut in 2008. 2008? Yeah. But, he was but Thomas was there. Yeah, both Bolo. Yeah. Thomas was there in 2007. Memory tricks you. Um, Memory tricks you. I but, don't you know, it's, it but yeah, but Garen was chubby. Maybe it was just two. It was so big it looked like two of them. Yeah. But he was like eight, 19, 20. He was like so young. He was the youngest rider in the, yeah. in the tour. And I, think, and I think the youngest rider in this year's Tour de France is a South East Londoner. Oh, really? Fred Wright. Fred Wright. Yeah. And he, so Fred, his dad, I was on this phone to his dad yesterday, who I know quite well, Phil, actor Phil. He's an actor. Oh, he? He's always moaning about being out of work. Oh, right. Well, that's what actors do. So yeah. That's part of the job is not having work. Yeah. <laughs> he always plays bent coppers. I was asking him about that last night. I said, why do you always play bent coppers on the telly? And he goes, because I'm from Sydenham. <laughs> is, that, is that like a badass place, is it? It's a, yeah, it's not. Whoa! There's a little pinch point in the road there. We got it. We handled it. <laughs> that was like three days of Japana moment. <laughs> anyway, on 2007, your amazing rampage day, yeah, yeah, down to Canterbury, Tunbridge Wells. Do you remember going through there in the big crowd? Yeah, yeah, I remember that vividly. That was just so, crazy. Phil and young Fred, who would have been, oh my God, what age would he have been then? 40, he would have been about six or oh, seven. Wow. He was in. They, he was there and he saw you. Oh, wow. And I think they've got photos of you off the front and him watching on. Oh, that's brilliant. So there you go. You inspired a generation. Oh, <laughs> You're welcome, Fred. <laughs> Right, we've stopped, paused momentarily on our journey southeast now, David, yeah. because we're right outside the new den, Millwall Stadium. Yeah, yeah. This is what this is. No one likes us, we don't care. Right. It's awesome because Millwall is like, I, I, it's legendary, isn't it? And I've never, I didn't have any idea where it was. So there's a Scotland connection with Millwall. Wait, what's there that? used to be the other side of the river, okay, back in the day. Um, we're south of the river now, as I've explained. Yeah. There used to be the other side on the Isle of Dogs which is now Canary Wharf and all that area, which is all heavily built up and the docks have long since closed. But Millwall Football Club, um, yeah, was formed by the dockers who worked in the Isle of Dogs on the other side of the, the, of the water. And um, hence, if you look at the, the, the club badge there, you can see it's a, a lion, right? Yeah. And I think I'm right in saying that Rangers Football Club in Glasgow also has a lion. I might be wrong about that, but there is a long historical connection between Glasgow Rangers and Millwall because Millwall was founded by Scottish dockers. Okay, so there's they there's a long kind of history of affiliation between Glasgow and Millwall. Yeah, there you go. Now on 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 the left here, right, this is like the most amazing place. You can just see it there. Is this massive incinerator? Oh, look at that, Ned. And <laughs> glorious. Are you? This has got mill to the back of me, incinerated to the front. And then we've got, got the railway here. lines, <laughs> railway lines like crisscrossing us um, here. So this incinerator, the reason I'm inter interested in that is because have you heard of Open House London? That when all these buildings, once a day, once a year, mm, all these buildings that you normally that. can't access so in September, eight. they open up so you can go on a guided tour. And I went, a couple of years ago, I went on a guided tour of that incinerator. Really? Right? What's it like? A mate. You would been. That is one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen. Inside there, they have burning 24, hour, 24 hours a day. They have these massive furnaces, that, and there's a little peepee hole you can look through with like glass that's a meter thick, and you can just see white light because it's burning at such a temperature. They are burning in there black bin bag, you know, bad waste, non-recyclable waste from gr the boroughs of Greenwich, Lewisham, and Westminster. So all the all the dust carts, you know, the refuse, they all bring the the rubbish to here, and they just drive up a ramp and tip it in to these huh. furnaces, and four hundred thousand tons, metric tons or tons, well anyway, metric yeah, tons something. of 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 uh, refuse are burnt there every wow. year. And here's the thing: I think I'm right in saying it's relatively clean, right? Yeah. Okay, so it's a bad thing. Burning anything is a bad thing, mm -hmm. but we produce human beings produce rubbish, don't we? And there's yeah. a, a very not obvious ways of stopping us producing rubbish, right? But given that rubbish exists, there is an argument to suggest stop recycling, ineffectively recycling plastic and letting it just float into our oceans. Yeah. Given that it's a, an evil we need to eradicate, it's probably better to maybe burn it, generate electricity. So you know where, where else they do this? They've done it kind of slightly different. It's Copenhagen. So they've got a huge incinerator, kind of on the edge of the, the centre of the city, and they've got a ski slope built on top of it. 
Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So if Copenhagen are doing it, then they're well into their sustainable stuff. I, I, no I don't know. I don't know if it's environmentally good or bad. I suspect well, it's probably a bit of both. But but I, I was just in terms yeah. of the mechanics of it and the engineering, I was absolutely gobsmacked by it. Convert it into yeah, it's it's good. It, gen- it generates electricity yeah. for ten thousand homes around here, and then contributes to the well, national grid. And that coming out the top, that's just steam. Well, that's circular, isn't it? Yeah. That's good. Maybe, well, I maybe mean, it's not we'll get hammered for this probably by it's people who know good, much better than us. But, but anyway, should we carry on? Yeah. David, are you enjoying it? What's that? You enjoying it? I'm loving it, Ned. This is, it's, this is a genuine, proper new experience for me because, well, you know me, I'm north of the River West End normally. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, seeing Mill Football Ground, the, the incinerator. Yeah, now we're into Deptford. Deptford. Yeah. This is all a... Centuries-long history of shipbuilding in Deptford. Is there? Absolutely, yeah. And... Yeah. Some links with the slave trade, which are deeply uncomfortable. Oh. But that's that's Britain, isn't it? That's, that's what Britain. That's how it's, the yeah. empire was built, wasn't it? Absolutely. Sadly. So Deptford was very badly bombed, as you can imagine. Yeah. So a lot of it is uh, a lot of the building here was from the 60s and 70s, and it's been kind of occasionally regenerated through the decades, often quite unsatisfactorily. But there's families here, there's communities here. Careful. That's it. Communities here that have. Um, been here for generations you know still yeah and i don't mean just the white communities there's a long-standing vietnamese community in deptford people come from all over the world here and always have there's even evidence of um roman centurions from londinium uh from africa when the archaeologists dug up i think they were building the thames barrier back in the day they found some little icons that they think were sort of African deities um, that had been left there by Roman centurions who come from the furthest southernmost outpost of the Roman Empire and ended up in Deptford. Oh, my God. Pretty cool, isn't it? That's amazing. Yeah, all facts. You didn't know this. And on we go. So we're about to cross Deptford High Street. Then we'll go over the Hapney Bridge and then we'll be in Greenwich. Lovely. Describe the view, David. Uh, Use your words. Use my words. Well, we're on a, a raw iron bridge next to a, a railway bridge, it seems, with a, with a large heavy lifting crane above it, yeah. which uh, spans across a river, which is barely a river, more of a... Uh, low tide low at the tide. moment. So mud banks. Mud banks covered in moss, yeah. big concrete walls either side, dried, beached barge and yeah. boats. All rusted up. All rusted up. And, and some dredging's going on as well. Yeah, and up there, that, that, there's, a, there's a building there with a very distinctive sort of like rainbow... Yeah kind of shell around it that is the Laban Art and Dance Conservatory some of the best you know young dancers in the country really they're learning their trade right there as we speak but uh, yeah so this is Creekside very this is kind of hip and you can see it's crossed by the DLR line as well there so those robot controlled driverless trains uh, that are what we have to make do with because we don't have the tube in southeast London there you go So we've just passed through the gates of Greenwich Park now, and everything's changed again, hasn't it? Yeah, it's bonkers. I was just saying how I'm always surprised by London, especially today, because this is an area that I don't know. But when you leave the centre, it's surprising how lovely it stays. I mean, it just, it's always different. Each little area's got its own character, and it doesn't have this sense of nondescript, deteriorating sprawl. <laughs> <laughs> which got, most cities do. To be fair, it's got a bit of that. It does have that, for sure. Yeah. But it's, as you were saying, it's just made up of lots of different villages and boroughs that have sprawled themselves. So there's yeah. lots of little micro-centres. Yeah, it's lovely. And then you just have that contrast. We were just in the, those outer little suburbs, and now we, we've gone into the grandiosity yeah. of Greenwich Park. Which is grand, isn't it? It's just... And now we're, we're basically climbing... <laughs> I'm in the wrong gear. You're in a big ring. <laughs> Anyone who knows this climb knows exactly where we are. It's basically the Mur de Bretagne, isn't it? It is. It's like a. It's exactly Mur de Bretagne. It's in the middle. Oh, jeez. I can't change gear. Oh, thanks, David. It is the Mur de Bretagne. Got a couple of hundred meters to go. Not 15%. <laughs> oh, 
Well, this was the end point. This is what I always intended to take you to. Um, about five miles, as the crow flies, from central London is Greenwich. Yeah, it's stunning. It really is. I mean, it's um, we're just sitting here at the top of, well, I guess it's just a beautiful green park with huge trees. That treed avenue up here was was just magnificent. And yeah. then, then the view, we just got Canary Wharf in front, which yep. although doesn't sound like it'd be a great view, but for London, it's a pretty cool view from here. And and what's that, the building with the two towers? So that's that's the Christopher Wren designed, um, it was originally the uh, Greenwich Hospital, the Royal Hospital, and it was for, you know in Chelsea, the um, where the Chelsea pensioners live, the, the for the retired yes, soldiers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was the naval equivalent of that. So r- retired um, seamen hmm. would be housed there, uh, and inside it, there's a there's a thing called the painted hall which has got this um kind of 18th century uh, it's recently been restored uh, amazing frescoes i mean it it's all the ceiling and all the walls are completely covered in this uh this very ornate painting that what the really interesting thing is it was just a hall it wasn't it's a secular building so it's not religious in any sense um but it was built to kind of house these retired sailors in sort of majestic circumstances and just you can't see it actually but just in front of the christopher wren building which is divided into two so you can see there's a clear line of sight between those two domes across to the river and the isle of dogs but just in front so yeah this side of it so to speak whereas we look north is uh the queen's house in greenwich which is the oldest building there down on the water and it was built in the very early 16th, uh, sorry, 17th century. I think it ran about, I think it's finished in around about 1623 by Inigo Jones. Oh, wow. Now yeah. that building is very, very geometrical. It's very plain. It has kind of ionic columns, I think, or Doric, one of those two. Greek columns on the front, white stucco, um, is recognized as being the first example of classical architecture. Really? In the country. Huh. So there we go. So it's kind of a historic place. You can see the the Cutty Sark as well, the the um two masts of the Cutty Sark. And can you see that glass dome? Yes. Just the, just that is um the entrance on the south side to the old foot tunnel that you can still get under the Thames there. Oh wow. And on the other side there's a similar dome. And that That's was built by like Brunel. Brunel, yeah. And you know it was Brunel's son that ended up doing that a lot of it. So cause it's, and there's the beautiful entrances. Yeah, they are. Because yeah. originally it was built for trains, but then they, there's an amazing painting of the the opening they did for it, where the whole the, that whole beautiful entrance hall, which is just immense, was just had these huge long tables, and all the the aristocracy and wealth of London came there for the opening. Yeah. Okay, that might be the Rotherhithe Tunnel. I'm not sure. Is it? it was the first I, one. It was the first one under the Thames. I, th- I think that's the Rotherhithe Tunnel, which is just a bit. Oh, is you're, it? you're in the right ballpark. It's a little bit further up the river. So that was when, the, yeah, the, the closer to central London. So okay. this is this was never. This was always just a foot tunnel. It's a very narrow gauge, I think. Huh. I think. Huh. Don't I'm know. Like, I've been there. Floating so many times. facts from me. Cool. There's a couple of interesting. When I have friends visit from overseas, I quite often take them on really long. If they like running, they go on a really long run with me, mm. where we cross the river twice in different ways slightly bonkers ways we come back through the greenwich foot tunnel to my house i live about a mile south of here um and uh to cross the river on, in the other direction we go over the dangle way which is that cable car nonsense the, uh, again it's just yeah. out of sight round to the right there which is why have we got a cable car in london mm. because boris johnson okay just for the sake yeah that's a nonsense but it's quite fun that's good um and that's that so oh, that's lovely yeah. It's a bit of a contrast to Millwall football ground and the incinerator. But it's all part of the picture, isn't it? It is all part like of the, the picture. Like the Tour de France. Do you yeah. see the segue I've done there? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Let's talk about this year's route. Well, you described, I think, I, maybe maybe reacting slightly to a post I put on Twitter a few days ago about kind of like almost ridiculing the notion that the first week is always described as boring. <laughs> but actually, I, w- I was a little bit fearing that the first week might be a little bit dull. Uh but I've kind of talked myself into thinking it's going to be really exciting now. And the more I've looked in detail at the opening two stages, uh, the more I think they're going to be <clears throat> really dynamic and really interesting. And yeah, and also I saw a quote from Philippe saying, this is today, saying that in order to, to win the first stage, it would take a, a violent effort. So he's even thinking about going for it early on, which is surprising. But I mean, in, in that sense, yeah, I think the first week, 
might be a little bit different, especially if you're going to have Jumbo Visma and Ineos Grenadiers bluffing. Because as we spoke before, it's, it depends on the strength of the sprinters' teams and how much they want to control it. But we could end up maybe a few days into that first week, there could be some bluffing going on in a breakaway, making it and disrupting it. And then you've got the cav factor and you've got Caleb Ewan's Lotto Sudal, who wants to control everything. So I don't know. This, I mean, the first two days are not sprints. No. They really aren't. So well, That's why the, I think Alaphilippe is kind yeah. of it's interesting, the fact that he's really kind of labelling that. Yeah. And as you said, there's so many other riders. And as you were mentioning before, there are a lot of very, very, very strong riders who would normally be going for a GC who will be opening up for stage wins from the very first weekend, yep. like the Yates's and, and the likes <coughs> the likes of that, because they genuinely see it's no bluffing this year. Yep. They don't stand a chance in the time trials, so all of a sudden they're coming in for to take every opportunity they can. That's a really good point. And, but the, 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 the climb at the end of stage one that finishes, goes from Brest to Londonau, um, is around, it's not, I think the average gradient is 5%, and it's, but it's over, well over two kilometres long. It's got steeper sections within it. And actually, it's one of those, I think it's one of those climbs where, you know, quite often we underestimate how well sprinters can get up climbs and you think, oh, mm-hmm. this is going to shred the peloton. And actually, it comes together and it kind of, it's a big sprint. Yeah. Um, equally, there's another thing that you can get wrong when you're kind of trying to predict races. Climbs like that can actually turn into surprisingly GC kind of efforts. And it's the kind of climb where, all right, maybe not on stage one, but if it was a bit later in the race, it would be the sort of climb where Roglic would make a statement. Yeah. You know, with his 500 metres to go attacks, and, unanswerable. And Tade. And Pogacar. It could be a bit more GC-ish than Well, we think. I think, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's going to be... And the way that the racing is these days, and especially we see the likes of, of what Pogacar's like, he he's not scared. And there's also Vanderpool, don't forget. There's Matthew Vanderpool. You'd think Vanderpool. There's just, Van Aert. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's Julian Alaphilippe so those three but then there's Sonny Colbrelli as well oh, yeah, he's, from going, you know, he's, he's flying well. he is flying and also Peter Sagan oh yeah Peter's back so it's it's going to be wonderfully entertaining and yeah. there's also I think that we're going to have an interesting battle to get in the breakaway especially on the first opening weekend because it's Brittany mm. because um, Arkea Samsic and B&B Hotel's Vital Concept are Breton teams stacked uh, yes, with Breton riders. They got, they're all in. It's all in, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Also, what, what's the bonus, time bonus situation this year? Well, there's a number of stages with those sprinty bonifications. Stage two has got uh, the eight-second bonus <clears throat> with about... I've printed this off so small I can't even see it. The first time they go over the Mur de Bretagne, because they take it on twice, David, uh, yeah, twice on stage two, that has uh, time bonuses on it and uh, time bonuses at the line as well. No time bonuses at intermediate sprints as ever on the tour. Um, but then after we've got through the kind of opening two stages, it does flatten out a bit for the for the next few days to come. Yeah. So uh, and then we're then we're going into Cavendish Retro Tour. Cavendish Retro. It is. That's what it is. He said it was which stage? It's six. Then we got the his Chateauroux. He's won there twice. Won there twice, and it was that was his first ever Tour de France stage when Chateauroux. Yeah. Yeah. Stage four. He's won into Fougeres. And I guess it's the same finish as well. So, and the nice thing with that is it's a day after the TT, so the sprinters are going to get a little bit of a, a, a an easier day. Yep. I wouldn't say rest day because you get punched in the face by sprinters if you say that. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and I think it, this is going to be. You have to ask. We do know in the past that Cav, even at his best, takes a few few stages to get going. Yeah. Um, so that Chateau stage, you <coughs> think he's going to be all in for that one? Yeah. It's a kind of case of I'm not going to. I'm going to go for it. Obviously on three and four, which are the first proper sprints. But as a part of you that thinks actually he's probably just going to be testing himself. Caleb Ewan's going to be doing going in all guns blazing to win as many as he can. Probably Mike, Mark Cavendish might scope it out without full absolute do or yeah, die. Yeah. And then stage six will be where he goes do or die, um, which is what he's very good at doing. Yeah. And then, and actually what's that's just for that first, that first TT. So that's, yeah, it's really interesting actually this first week, Ned. I know. I to say it. So you've done, you've, you've, you've gone full yeah. circle here. It is really interesting. You've got this first, the first weekend's going to be proper racing. Yeah. Then you've got the two sprint stages and it's all going to be, everyone's going to, what's Cav going to do? Is he, is he, yeah. is he not? Then you've got the TT on stage five, which is going to kind of set the tone. Yeah. 27 Ks. Yeah. And then we've got the Chateauroux stage, which will be the, the kind of the, the Cav comeback or not. And then we, we begin to hit the mountains. 
Yeah. So it's, it's it's actually a really nice. Well, by stage eight, we're in the Alps, aren't we? Is it or is that I the know. Jura? No, no, I can never remember. The Jura. Jura. Yeah, I think it's the Jura. Yeah. It? yeah, but that's um talk about kind of Alaphilippe's concentrating on on stage. I mean, that's a perfect Alaphilippe. In fact, hasn't he won into Le Grand Bonnet before? I think, I think that's he one has. Of his first victory, yeah. wasn't it? I think you're right. That was the one where he waited fast for someone. He Yates. waits for Ryan Tarame. He oh, waited Ryan fast Tarame. to Ryan for Ryan Tarame. I think in 2018. Done it a couple of times. Waiting 2017, fast, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then and then well, and then there's only three summit finishes. There's a we're in the Pyrenees a lot. That's a real feature. Mm. So there's this interesting stage from Carcassonne into the foothills of the Pyrenees, which is the East Pyrenees, um, on stage 14. 15, 16, 17, and 18 are all big Pyrenean days. That's a big last week. Because yeah. it's, uh, that's, f- yeah, 15, 16, 17, 18 are all very tough days. 19. to sprint. sprint. It's 130k. Sorry, that's a 207k sprint day. And then you've got the final TT, which is 36, 38. Can't see in your small print. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's around about the same it's actually, as- it's actually a really well-balanced tour. And I think it's, we're going to kind of see, as you said, I think even the first weekend, we're going to get an indication of the GC races yeah. because they're going to have to kind of race hard just because everyone's going to be so close. And then from that time trial onwards, it's like, oof, it's going to be tough. So a bunch of riders, I've got my little riders thing here. The riders who are circled in orange mm. there, David, are making their debuts. Oh, that's a lot. It's a lot. It always is. I mean, Alpes and Phoenix have got four debutants, um, obviously, because they've not been at the race before. Holy cow, I didn't even... Re- I kind of I knew it, but I didn't acknowledge it, that it's Van der Poel's first Tour de France. Yeah. Oh, he's going to be going all in. For it's his first, first Grand Tour. Oh, stop it. Yeah. Wow. I kind of just... When you've got a rider that's that dominant, you take for granted that they've, they've done Grand Tours. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um... So let's just let's just run yeah. through the teams really quickly. Total Energy, yeah. There's a there's a Pielator. <laughs> there's Pielator, isn't there? Yeah. But he's a fading force, I think, a little bit. Bosenhagen, Hagen, same. Yeah, he's the only one in that team who's previously won mm. stages. Um, uh, one no. to look out for might be Victor de la Part, uh, who's the Spanish climber. Used to be with. He used to be with. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, I think he might be ex uh, uh mm. possibly, but he's he's going quite well. Um, one for a breakaway, really. Um, Julien Simon mm. might be quite suited to some of the finishes yeah. in the opening uh, weekend. B and B Hotels Vital Concept have got three riders called Cyril. That's awesome. Which is awesome. Cyril Lemoine, who's a and bit of a veteran. Brian Quinton. It's like the most French team. It's ridiculously. That's French. like if you're going to do a novel about the Tour de France and come up with eight names. Cyril, 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 Brian. Quentin, Pierre, and Franck. It's perfect. And Maxime Chevalier, who's oh. a young talent. So <laughs> he's good. Um, so then we've got Alpes and Phoenix, um, spearheaded by Mathieu van der Poel, but also with Tim Malia. Oh, yeah. Well, so, Tim's like not bad, is he? He's arguably the fastest sprinter mm, or one of in the world. Yeah. So that'd be interesting to see how they play that, I think. And on yeah. those days where they're riding for Malia, what van der Poel's role is. He'd be quite a good lead-out rider, wouldn't he? Yeah, I'd say they'd be all in Van der Poel's first two days and then switch, and then switch to... Flip. Yeah. yeah. Um, Movistar, yeah. Trident, well, we, we spoke yeah, about we them. Spoke, well, they're Quadrant, Quadro. Quadro. Aren't they? Yeah, true. Valverde, Lopez, Lopez Mas, and Soler. They're yeah. just everything. They've mm-hmm. just gone, who've we got? Yeah. They've also got Ivan uh, uh, Cortina, yeah. for, uh, who's... I get again. Don't rule him out at the first weekend. I think mm. he could be really effective. Then, then we've got Nibbles for yeah. Trek Segafredo. So they've got quite a classic team, actually, haven't Very. they? It's got you've got Stoyven, Mollema, Mads Pedersen, Kenny Lissand, or Climb, Edward Toynes. He's going really well. Toynes nearly won the Belgian national championships. He was only just beaten by Wout van Aert hmm. in, a, in a sprint with yeah, Remco. that was close. Remco I mean, finished really third. Remco. So there they we can go. thank Remco for making that. Actually, yeah. it was Wout van Aert that made it, but still, yeah, Julian Bernard. So that's good. Trek Sega Freya's quite. A, it's not no surprises. It's a traditional team. Let's yep. see what Nibbles does because let's not forget he did the did the Giro with a, yep. a recently broken wrist. Yep. So he should be here on fine form. Yep. Um, so did Molimo actually. He, he he did the Giro as well. So mm. we'll see. Antomarche wants to go back. Martirio. Ah, uh, well, uh, in the race. Watch out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Watch out for um, Georg Zimmerman. Uh, that's my little hipster. Um, nice. my, he finished. Second or third 
third, I think, in the um, German national championships behind Max Schachmann. And he's going really well. Young German rider making his his bow. And he's really versatile, can climb, can beat, you know, riders in a in a fast finish uh, from a smaller group. Kofidis, well, everyone's going to be hoping that Guillaume Martin finally mm. cracks the top 10. Because yeah. it was looking so good is, last year for yeah. two weeks. Then yeah. it didn't. But yeah, that, again, that's a very... Um, that's a very coffee these team, isn't it? Anthony Perez, Christophe Laporte, Simon Geschke. Laporte's going well. La- mm-hmm. Laporte could feature in the opening week. Perrichon. Yep. Pierre-Luc okay. Perrichon is Mr. Breakaway. Then the other classic French team, Groupama, FDJ. Yeah. Arnaud Demar, the French national champion, actually getting his chance to, to wear that jersey this year at the Tour de France. And and hopefully, well, you should, I mean, he hasn't been racing against the best sprinters for a while, has he really? No, he didn't go to the Giro, mm. <clears throat> having bossed it last year. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's a bit uncertain how he stacks up against the best, but on his day, he's the fastest, you know, he's mm. one of the fastest, isn't he? And he's got, he's got a fantastic lead-out team, hasn't he, with Miles Scottson involved, uh, Conor Valavas, and Jacopo Guarnieri as his lead-out. And Kung for setting it up. And Kung as well. So mm. that's quite a... <laughs> Doesn't really favour David Godou and Valentin Madwas, does it? It is a heavy. They flipped it from last year where Demar wasn't taken when he was French national yeah. champion. He's got a real team not, around him. Now he's got a proper team. Madwas and Godou are a little bit isolated there, aren't they, mm. in terms of. Yeah. Free electrons. Free electrons. Uh, Tour de France. Uh, sorry, Bora Hansgrohe, Peter Sagan, yeah. Oss. Kelderman. Ghoster. Buchmann's Ghoster. Buchmann the Ghost. Yeah. yeah. Pollitt. Wilco Kelderman. Yeah. Yeah. Postelberger, who They're we like. kind of. Yeah. Bora Hansgrohe, it's got. A nice bunch, but there's not really winners there apart from Sagan, is there? No, but depending on how the race goes and whether they give up on Kelderman and uh, Buchmann's GC aspirations, mm. watch out for Edis Schelling. I don't know him. I just want to say Edis Schelling. Edis Schelling. Schelling. He's Dutch. He's young. He's making his Tour de France debut and he's um, he's a kind of surfer dude, skateboarder. Hipster. Hipster. Very, very outgoing. Likes mugging to the camera, you know. He's a bit like Pustelberger. Pustelberger, yeah. A bit yeah. of a Pustelberger situation. Yeah. Uh, but he's really... Um, exciting, I think, as a run. Very good. EF Education Nippo Uran. Uran, the dark horse. Yeah. Yeah, that time trial he did in Tour of Swiss was uh, mind-boggling. It was. So he's, he's actually coming coming in legit back to his best, uh, yeah. possibly. Sergio Aguita. That's a good team. Mm. Stefan Bissiger. Court's flying as well, isn't he? He's going well. Nelson Paulus. Did he uh, win he a, a stage team? of the Occitanie, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, Rutus fight last stage. Yeah. Um, uh, Ruben Guerrero, who won the King of the Mountains at the Giro last year, had another good Giro this year. Very yeah. aggressive. Bissiger, though, yeah, Swiss time trialist. I Ooh. think he's um, he's one to watch there for them. It was last year. Paulus had a great tour, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Breakthrough, really. Yeah. DSM don't look quite as strong, maybe as they did DSM last year. A bit of an invisible team for me. I'm still. They've not had a great year so far. No. They've no. not had a great year. But let's see what Winston Churchill can do. Mark Donovan makes his um, Tour de France debut, the uh, Cumbrian climber, yeah. uh, from a British it's perspective. There's a lot of British riders in the race this year, aren't there? There are 10 or 11. Whew. Yeah, quite, quite a lot. Um, UAE Team Emirates looks super strong, stronger than they did last year, with the addition of Brandon McNulty, for example, mm. and Mikkel Bjerg, both really strong riders, um, to back, and they've got Hirschi as well, hmm. and Rui Costa. <laughs> Rui Costa. Uh, it's a strong team, though. Micah as well. Joining in, that yeah. is a really strong team. It's a now, very isn't strong it? team. Yeah, considering he basically didn't have a team really last year, fell apart, didn't it? Yeah. He had to do it on his own. Yeah, yeah. AG two R. Yeah. What is uh, Fred Wright's dad, Phil? Yeah, yeah, who I mentioned earlier, was back in the winter riding. I might have mentioned this to you before. Riding his road bike through central London. And um, he likes to push himself quite hard. He's in his 50s. <laughs> mm. And he's riding along. And this delivery driver, rider, with a, on a big old clunky mountain bike, sat on his wheel. And uh, Phil tried to shake him off and couldn't get rid of him. And they went, I think it's Pentonville Road, up quite a climb. Couldn't get rid of this kid. Oof. Stopped at some lights. And um, Phil said, you're strong. And this French kid went, well, I'm a professional bike rider. And he goes, get away. Who for? Because my son rides for Bahrain, yeah. Bahrain Victorious. I said, Who is your son? Fred Wright. He goes, well, sorry, what's your name? And he said, Aurélien Paris-Pentre. What? Yeah. What was he doing? He was, don't know. He was de- delivery. That's so random. Isn't it? <laughs> I'm taken aback. 
<laughs> like busman's holiday. Busman's holiday. Just it's like probably here yeah. with his girlfriend in London. He's like, I've got a bit of spare time. Yeah, go and make some cash. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and he's in the age, and he's a good rider as well. Be- ben O'Connor, so, so professional cycling. Yeah, Ben O'Connor. It's quite a good team. Yeah. I don't expect much from, uh, to be honest, from Greg Van Avermaet. Um, I think it's one of my favourite kits as well, by the way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Team Ikea Samsic. Breton. Bergier Bargiel. What's he's got to get get his act back together? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It feels like Buhani. Yeah, a couple of British riders as well, Dan McClay and Connor Swift. Um, mm. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I'm no afraid. One. Yeah. Bike Exchange. Lucas Hamilton's the exciting prospect mm. there, as well as Simon Yates, obviously, and Chavez, who's been had a good year. Chavez, he's looked good. Um, other the, than uh, Michael Matthews, Matthew, Michael first. Matthews. He's not, not seen much from recently. No. Otherwise, that first weekend would be very good for him as well. But yeah, no. Yeah, I think Lucas Hamilton. Okay. I think if he get, I but like want to see him in a breakaway because mm. he came very close to winning a stage of the Giro. Um, Astana, Astana, Jakob Fulsang and Yonis Zagedi not hunting GC. Lutsenko, Lutsenko being Lutsenko mm-hmm. after that Dauphiné. Very good. And uh, my Friday new for Spanish national champion. Yeah, did you see that? I didn't see the race. No, it's really cool. Was it? Well, yeah. everyone thought that they were. Everybody thought that Fraile was leading out Adam Baru, who's got a vicious yeah, yeah. sprint on him. And um, Adam Baru just in the final few hundred meters as Fraile did his last lead-out effort, just pulled the handbrake on. Oh, seriously? Yeah, and and Fraile was then off and just wow. rode to the finish. It nice. was a clever team tactic. It was really well executed. Very cool. So that was cool. Um, then we've got Quebec Assos, who actually I'm quite excited by. Nick Lamini is the first black South African oh, yeah, that's cool. uh, ever to go to the Tour de France. Hmm. And he's going to be speaking to him the other day. He's going to be doing little um, video diaries for us on ITV. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Um, Campanuts, who's had a wonderful year so far. Max Walscheid, who's suddenly discovered that he's a phenomenal time trialist, having started oh, his career really? as a sprinter. Huh. He's really, he's a really strong time trial. That's random. It is a bit random. Yeah. Um, Haru's not doing it now. Oh, he's just. He's gone. Yeah. He's got to let it go. He's got to let it go. It's over. Um, Lotto Sudal. All for Caleb. Oh, Orf- Gil- yeah. Phil Jill's here. Nice. Isn't it mad that Gilbert's only ever won one stage of the Tour de France? That's mad. That's uh, That doesn't make sense, does it? No, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. I ten, remember this, ten years ago. I remember well. ten years ago because that was it was twenty ten to eleven, wasn't it? When yep. he was just ripping the whole, and that was his greatest ever year. But the problem was, I remember that because I remember kind of being bamboozled by it. And he went f- when I would win stages, I'd be really kind of specific about it and, and target them. But Phil was so desperate and is so desperate that he just go chases every single stage. <laughs> And it was like, it's not going to work like that. The Tour de France is <laughs> kind of like, it's too hard to do that. You've just got to pick a day, but he just can't help himself. He was but, under so much pressure to win the first stage, wasn't he? That in was 2011. It, yeah. And he did. Mm-hmm. He did. Contador crashed, didn't he? It was on, in the Vendée. Exactly. Area. I remember it. Yeah. Torhushov second. Yeah. As a world right. champion. Yeah. Yes. Um, Israel are the old, I think they're the oldest team. Mm. Average age is that's probably just Chris plus, has just like, <laughs> corrupted it. <laughs> yeah, uh, Greipel as well. Greipel is another little renaissance. Greipel recently, yeah, he won a race, didn't he? Where did yeah. he win? I can't remember, I can't remember yeah. either. Okay. But um, yeah, Very Michael good. Woods and Dan Martin looking for stages, and Chris Room is a road captain, which is mm. odd. Um, yeah, but it will be. Oh, is it going to be interesting to watch Chris Froome, or is it just going to be? It's going to be. Painful? I think it's going to be. Um, we're going to be on um, Froome watch of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, the Canary. The Canary watch. Uh, De Kernink, quick step. I mean, it's not a terrible. Team, when you it? see that little number in orange, mm, is the 30. number of is the number of stage victories, just, and you just look around. You know, prodigious winners yeah, like yeah. Caleb Ewan. Five. Five. That's a hell of a number, isn't mm. it? Andre Greipel. Eleven, Eleven stages. And then you just go, Mark Cavendish, 30. 30. I mean, it's just it's, insane, isn't it? It is insane. I mean, the difference between him and the next best is just <laughs> such a such a cavernous dis- And it's, I think it's one of the, I mean, regardless of what he does, it, I think it's one of the most extraordinary comeback stories in any sport yeah. that I can ever remember. It's true because it's. I mean, he was gone. I mean, and, it's, and it wasn't just a, a. He was. It was been a pretty painful, slow decline over three years. Yeah. So yeah, this is going to be 
I really hope that he does something. And it's another monstrously good team, isn't it? Merku leading him out, Kasper Asgren being Kasper Asgren, Tim de Klerk being Tim de Klerk. Um, Alaphilippe's got a little bit of support in the shape I mean, of Dries Devenines and uh, yeah. Mat- Mattia Catanio on this race. There's, there's also, Ned, with this one, it's not just the comeback and the fact it's happening. It's the fact he's come back into, and at the last minute, been replaced last year's best sprinter green jersey winner with the team built for that person. Yeah. So he's just literally well, walked into the team that was designed to defend the green jersey and lead out the best sprinter in the world. What did you make of Lefebvre's comments about Bennett? Do you read them? Yeah, he was just pissed off, wasn't he? But it's just, it was a bit... Petty. I mean, a bit over that. I mean, it's Patrick Lefebvre, though. He's always does it. He's just got, he just, just he doesn't hold bar back, does it he? Because it seems that Bennett's moving on, doesn't he? Yeah. You know, it, it's, just it's, a pattern, it's, it's a repeated pattern. With yeah. That team. And it's also, with Patrick Lefebvre, he, he takes it personally, like all those, those big players do, because that's why they're so good. It's quite emotional. They're emotionally invested, as well as financially invested. And also the ego that Patrick Lefebvre has, I think it was bruised kind of by what was happening, the fact that he'd made this big call about not taking Cav and then had to turn it around. And that, I think, just pissed him off because obviously that decision not to take Cav was a huge decision that probably weighed heavily on his mind and and took a, a lot of guts to do. And then for him to think that actually Sam Bennett's just been, he believes has been messing him around a bit, is he's just gone all guns blazing. It's mad. Yeah. It's not really very yeah. nice. But. I mean, Cavendish of, of the of the riders who kind of moved on is almost the only one who ever managed to leave on reasonably good terms. Mm. Yeah, uh, Kittle got booted into touch, didn't he? Oh, yeah, totally. I don't think Viviani's departure was particularly well received, and Bennett's been absolutely had his entrails removed mm. by Patrick Lefevre. In, in you know, it is a, it's a strange phenomenon. Yeah. Um, Ballerini's a great rider. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. He's another phenomenal addition to Cavendish's. Is he related to Franco? Or not? No. No, nothing to do with Franco. No. no. Okay. Um, Ineos. Yeah, that's not a shit team, actually. No, that's not terrible. Uh, Going Thomas. So, yeah. yeah. Are you surprised Rowan Dennis isn't in the team? I am. Uh, am I? Mm, no, I don't think so, because I think they they know that, that that would have been a very discussion within the team, because you also want the right personality type. And... Richie's quite similar similar to Rohan. They're quite feisty, feisty, and angry. Angry would probably be a, an even better description. Richie, so Richie's super angry, isn't he? Super angry, and Rohan's really angry. Really too angry's angry Aussies. No, too much. Too, too many. Too much anger. Um. So I think, and and do they need him? No, I don't think so. When you look at the strength of depth and the type of racing they're going to be doing, they've got two phenomenal, essentially two row captains and Kwiatkowski and Row. They've got. They're kind of, I'd say, free electron sort of number two would be Carapaz behind Garant Thomas. Teo Gagenhart, who will be here as like first lieutenant, the sort of role that Garant Thomas played to, to Wiggins for, for years and Froome. And Castro Viejo, Port, Van Baal, they're just all solid. It has a slight feeling. I think there's a slight risk of, because it's worked in the past, Castro Viejo Kwiatkowski, mm. we'll do it again. And sometimes in sports, the the it it, it just stops working, and yeah. and it's not the same as it used to be. And mm-hmm. that moment can just come up and creep up on you. You don't see it coming, and then it's gone. Yeah. And I just wonder whether that's whether they are quite the riders that they were a couple of years ago now, and whether they're just reverting mm-hmm. to type. And there's a slight risk that I didn't think Castroviejo was amazing in, in the Giro no. this year. And Kwiatkowski's not been... Quite himself. No. So, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Bahrain Victorious, another team who don't really have a GC rider, I don't think. I mean, I don't know no. what Bill Bauer will do. Maybe he will ride GC, but uh, he's not going to win it. Dylan Turns, free electron. Mm. And, uh, solid, solid little team there. It's a good team. Yeah, Marco Haller. I think Colbrelli is going to be their biggest chance of success. Be interesting to see how deep he goes into the green jersey competition. I think whether he targets that and Mm. presents a real opponent for Peter Sagan. And the final team, yeah, the final team is Jumbo Visma. Jumbo Visma. Um, The only debutant being Jonas Vingegaard. Jonas Vingegaard. Jonas Vingegaard. (laughs) Jonas Vingegaard. Um, Who's a really, really talented time trialist and climber. And with the exception of Mike Turnison 
and Wat Van Aert, who can do everything, and Tony Martin, who's Tony Martin, and by the way, won the German time trial championship again for oh, a tenth time. What a legend. They're, they're pretty much all climbers, aren't they? Robert Hessing, Sepkus, Stephen Kreisfeld. And they've been conspicuous in their absence the last couple of months, just all in for this. Roglic has not raced, has he? No. No. Which is, um, yeah, unu- uh, un- an unusual, because he didn't race the Tour of Slovenia, yeah. as far as I know. He didn't race the Slovenian National Championships. And Kreis Kreiswick, who are Kus- and Kreiswick, who are at Dauphiné, were just almost just training, yep. practicing. Practicing their cycling. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be, a, it's good. They're the, and they're the three teams we talked about before. You know, it's going to do Jumbo Visma. And who's the other one? Uh, UAE team UAE. members who oh, won yeah, it last year. Yeah, those guys. <laughs> those guys. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to, um, I'm going to do a bit of editing on this. I'm going to do my yep. last little bit of prep. And then tomorrow morning, I'm heading down to Maidstone and I'll see you. On commentary nice. duty, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Should we, um, we should probably mention the cycling almanac. Almanac. What have you got going on during the tour? Well, the road book. The road book, yeah. Uh, nothing really. I've just got to concentrate on. Yeah. Yeah. And do some writing. Oh, you've got to keep up, keep it filled up though, haven't you? Yeah, but I'd have to get other people to do that. Yeah, true. I'm at that level. You just, you're just chief like, editor, editor in chief. It's not. Tr- it's not true, actually. I've got to do so much of the writing, yeah. and I'm way behind. Editor at large, editor in chief. Uh, yeah. Publisher. <laughs> I wish I could get other people to do it, but I just have to do so much myself. I'm a bit um, like that as well. Are you? Yeah, I kind of do quite chapter a lot three stuff. See, with my chapter three stuff. Yeah, but we're going we're gonna to do a lot of this podcast. We're going to. Yeah, what uh, we're doing with this podcast because we've obviously got to do the ITV one, as, haven't we? As well. Yeah. In the afternoons and exactly. evenings. But so what we're going to do? We're going to do an occasional Never Strays France because we can't do it every day. No, we can't do it every day. But I think. We should have some sort of regularity on it, regards days, so people can expect it. Yeah. We should look at the race a little bit and do it around what we think. It's almost like three-day reviews. Oof. You know what I mean? Four-day reviews. So four. Five-day reviews. Five-day reviews. <laughs> so, so that's four during the tour. Yeah. Well, maybe we could do more than that. Well, that's well, what I'm saying. So it's three. So Why do we five. To... Four, if we do five, that's every four days. Okay, but doesn't that make sense? Yeah, but let's not make promises that we can't really deliver. No, no, we shouldn't do that. Although we made a promise at the Giro and we yeah. actually delivered on it, which was pretty amazing, really. I think. Yeah, it's it's true. Pat ourselves on the back. Um, yeah. All right. Very good. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.